Hello Avenue and welcome to my shed, this time not my kitchen. Um, apologies if you can hear lawnmowers going in the background, you might even hear a squirrel running across the roof, there's a squirrel who loves to do that, so if you're scampering that's why. Um, but yet yeah, we are carrying on our series in the lead up to Easter, looking at the last words of Jesus, what Jesus says to us on the cross. And this week we're looking at the words of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it'd be really helpful if you could have your Bibles open as we try and think what that saying has to say to us today. So we're going to look at Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel chapter 27, verses 38 to 46. If you can have that open, that would be great. And Ben is going to read that for us now. Matthew 27, verses 38 to 46. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, Darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does Jesus really know what it's like to be me? Does Jesus really know what it's like to live my life in this world? Does Jesus know what it's like to struggle the way that I do? To suffer the way that I have? To feel alone the way I often do? I mean, Jesus claims to understand these things, but... But come on, he's the son of God. He's the Lord of all creation. Does he really know what it feels like to be me? The evangelist Glenn Scrivener puts it like this. He says, sometimes we think of Jesus coming into our world uh, that very first Christmas, a bit like a member of the royal family, say Prince William, sleeping rough on the streets of London for a night to raise awareness about homelessness. I mean, in many ways, it's a great thing for Prince William to do. We applaud Prince William for doing it. But everyone knows that by the following night, Prince William is going to be back in his lovely warm bed, in his massive palace, safe and protected. Whereas the homeless people he was sleeping alongside the night before are just as vulnerable and isolated as they were on the night he was with them. Is that how we sometimes think of Jesus, the Son of God, entering our world as a human being? 
We think, okay, Jesus may have lived here for a little while, 2,000 years ago, but that doesn't mean he knows what it feels like to be me. He's the son of God. He's the Lord of all creation. And he got to return to heaven where he's reigning today. What does Jesus really know about struggling and about suffering and about loneliness in this world? Maybe that's how you sometimes think about Jesus. Well, I want to say that the last words of Jesus we're looking at today give us a powerful response to those questions about Jesus. My God, my God, cries Jesus. Why have you forsaken me? Now, these are the only words spoken by Jesus from the cross that are recorded in two Gospels. Both Matthew and Mark record this for us. These words are crucial for helping us understand what is going on at the cross. And the Gospel writers want us to see something astonishing in these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Tell us that actually, yes, Jesus does know what it's like to be us in this world. You see, at the heart of the Christian message is the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who humbled himself, stooped down and entered our world of sin and suffering. And at the cross, Jesus experienced the very worst our world could throw at him. He experienced the full force of sin and death. He took the punishment we deserve on himself. And he did all this to rescue us from the power of sin and death. And also to show us that the God Christians trust in is a God who knows what it is like to suffer. More than that, who is with us, who stands with us in our suffering and our struggles and our loneliness. So let's look at Matthew's account of the crucifixion together now. It's Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, what Ben read out for us. Let me just read that verse for us, verse 46. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want us to see that these words of Jesus show us two amazing truths about who he is. First of all, these words show us that at the cross, Jesus took our punishment for us. Jesus took our punishment for us. But they also show us that because of the cross, we can know Jesus is with us in our sufferings. Jesus is with us in our sufferings. So first of all, at the cross, these words show us, Jesus took our punishment for us. So what was going on at the cross that led Jesus to cry out in this loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, you look at Matthew's account of the crucifixion, and it's really a, a picture of humanity at its very worst. You look at verses 38 to 44 of Matthew, the descriptions of the people surrounding Jesus as he hung on the cross that first Good Friday. This is an ugly picture of humanity opposed to God. It's a picture of humanity unable to love God and unable to love each other. You see, purely on a human level, there is a man 
hanging naked on a tree. He is dying a slow and painful death through suffocation, the way that crucifixion would execute a criminal. And how do the people around him respond to him? Well, they mock him. They taunt him. They hurl insults at him. From the religious leaders to the passers-by to the rebels being crucified on either side of Jesus, Matthew wants to see here that Jesus was utterly rejected by the people around him as he died. See, the religious leaders rejected Jesus because they were threatened by Jesus. They liked being the people in charge of the religious life of Israel. They didn't like Jesus going around telling people who God is and how to live in response to who God is. The religious leaders wanted a God they could control. They wanted to worship God on their own terms, to worship a God of their own making. So they rejected Jesus and had him condemned to death. Then the passers-by hurling insults at Jesus. They rejected Jesus basically because they're disappointed with Jesus. See, just a few days earlier, many of these crowds at the crucifixion were cheering Jesus on as he entered Jerusalem on a donkey. They said, yes, here is Jesus. He's God's king. He's the Messiah. Come to set us free. But they celebrated his coming because they wanted him to do the things they wanted him to do. They wanted him to kick out the Romans, to set them free again. And when Jesus didn't do that, well, these passers-by want nothing to do with him. They are disappointed with Jesus. They reject him. They insult him. And even the rebels who were crucified on either side of Jesus reject him and hurl insults at him. All they can see is their own suffering. They don't care that Jesus is suffering. They're suffering. And if Jesus isn't going to do anything to help them, then why should they bother with him? Again, it's worth noting that Luke in his gospel tells us that one of these rebels changed his mind about Jesus before the end. I'm going to look at that in a few weeks' time. And then where were Jesus' friends and disciples when all this was happening? Well, the Gospels tell us, apart from John, Mary and a few of the other women, they had all run away and abandoned Jesus when he was arrested. So Jesus is on this cross alone, isolated, abandoned by those closest to him. It's no wonder we feel that Jesus feels forsaken at this time. But then you look again at what Jesus cries out here. And the forsakenness that he feels most deeply is not that of his friends abandoning him. It's not that of the crowds abandoning him. What creates Jesus' greatest pain here is that God, the Father who has always loved him, has turned his back on Jesus at the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries. See, on the cross, Jesus is taking the punishment we deserve for our sin on himself. And as a result, God the Father, who has loved Jesus for throughout all eternity, turns his back on his son as his son becomes sin for us. Look at verse 45 again here. Matthew tells us, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. 
See, it's the hottest, the brightest part of the day and darkness comes over the country. Now, darkness in the Bible is often a sign of God's judgment on sin. So you think back to the book of Exodus and the plague of darkness on the people of Egypt for refusing to set the Israelites free. Or you think of Old Testament prophets like Amos, warning of a future day of darkness when God will judge the sins of his people. So the darkness here tells us God is angry at sin. But what the Old Testament could never have anticipated was that the person bearing the brunt of God's anger at our sin would be the Son of God, God himself in the person of his Son. See, again, we see this darkness in the daytime. We think, okay, that means God's angry. Maybe we think, well, of course God's angry. God's angry at Jesus' enemies. He's angry at the religious leaders for stitching Jesus up and condemning him to death. He's angry at the Roman soldiers for nailing him to the cross. He's angry at the crowds for hurling insults at Jesus. But actually, amazingly, no. The focus of God's anger, the focus of God's judgment on human sin, is the man on the cross. Is Jesus, the Son of God, bearing the brunt of our punishment in our place so we will never have to? Later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul puts it like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. At the cross, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What Paul's saying here is at the cross Jesus willingly became a sin offering for us. At the cross God the Father poured out his judgment for the sins of his people onto the Son whom he loved. And Jesus the Son of God willingly agreed to take that punishment for us so we can be set free from sin's power and dominion over us. See, at the cross, Jesus, the Son of God, one with the Father, eternally loved by the Father, is forsaken by the Father as he takes the punishment we deserve. And why does he do that? Because he loves us. Because he wants to set us free from sin and death and the terrible damage they do to us and to our world. And of course, we see this picture. We go, well, is our sin really so serious that, that, that God the Son has to die to pay the punishment? I mean, surely God could just, could just forgive us. Surely God could just turn a blind eye to our sins or let us off. Surely that would be an easier way. But you see, that question ignores the terrible damage our sin does to us to the people around us, and to the world we live in, to God's world. I mean, look again at the people surrounding Jesus at the crucifixion. This is the damage sin does to us all. The people around that cross are unable to love God and they're unable to love one another. See, we often like to think of ourselves as good people as moral people, maybe even spiritual people. But look again at the cross of Jesus. 
This is what happens when we get our hands on God. We reject him. We mock him. We beat him. We kill him. See, the God of the gospel, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, knows how deep and how destructive sin's influence is on us. And out of his love for us, he wants to set us free from the penalty of our sin. That is what is happening at the cross. Jesus is taking our punishment for us. That's why he goes through the agonies of the cross. Why the Father and the Son are separated for the first and only time in eternity. God wants to set us free from our hatred and our fear. And only Jesus suffering in our place can do that. See, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, was forsaken by the Father so that we, if we trust in him, will never be forsaken by the Father. Jesus, that the perfect Son of God, he's abandoned, he's cut off from God so that we never will be if we trust in him. Jesus is isolated, he's rejected on the cross so that we instead can be welcomed home by the God who loves us. So we instead can be set free from our sin, set free to love God and to love one another. Jesus was punished for our sins in our place. I said at the cross, we see humanity at its worst, but we also see the God of the gospel, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, at his very best. God saw us in our need. God knew we could not save ourselves. So he stepped in. He stooped down. And he took the punishment that justice demanded. His justice demanded. So we can be forgiven. Washed clean. Set free from sin. And from death. And so that we can come home to the God who loves us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the cross, Jesus was forsaken, so we never have to be. At the cross, Jesus took our punishment for us. But I want to see one other thing that this cry from Jesus tells us, and it's this. This cry from Jesus shows us that Jesus is with us in our suffering. See, with that cry of desolation at the cross. Jesus proves himself to be the God that the Christmas story told us he would be. Emmanuel, God with us. We began this time by thinking, does, does Jesus really know what it's like to be me? And maybe particularly in this time, in, the, in all of our lives, we might be asking that question. We are living in extraordinary times. People in our world, in our country, are getting sick, and some of them are dying. We are being asked to stay away from each other, to isolate ourselves from friends and loved ones to keep us safe. People in the NHS are putting themselves in harm's way, caring for the weak and the vulnerable. It's a time of fear and isolation for all of us. We all feel deeply vulnerable to this virus. And we think, well, well, does Jesus really know what that feels like? Does Jesus really know what it feels like to be me? 
And the answer the cross gives us is amazingly, yes. The cross shows us, Jesus' cry from the cross shows us, he knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to be alone and be rejected. He knows what it is when God is silent. When your cries for help seem to go unanswered. This cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is a cry we will all cry at various points. And Jesus here leads the way for us. See, Jesus' words here are a direct quote from a psalm, Psalm 22, a psalm of David. One of the many psalms of lament we find in the Bible. And lament in the Bible is sort of all about facing up to the realities of life in a fallen world. So the realities of sin and death, of pain and frustration, of loneliness, of the hurt we do to ourselves and to other people, of those times when God just appears distant, silent, unanswering of our cries for help. And by quoting Psalm 22, while hanging on a cross, Jesus invites us to learn from him how to lament, how to bring our sufferings to the living God. See, lament, according to Psalm 22, lament according to Jesus on the cross, means we bring our complaints to God. We are honest with him and we cry out to him to help us. See, we can cry out to God with our pain and our questions because Jesus did it first. Jesus understands us. He has entered into our suffering. And that is why we go to him when we are suffering and we cry out to him to help us. Here's how the writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament puts it. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, that is Jesus, he is able to help those you are being tempted. Or Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 to 16. We do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, if you're a Christian watching this, you worship a God who knows what it is to suffer. You worship a God who understands you. You worship a saviour who knows what it's like to be tempted. You worship a God who's entered our sufferings with us in the person of his son, Jesus. And as a result, we can go to him with our fears and our struggles and our questions. We can say, why God is this happening? Why God? I don't understand why this is happening. But we're taking those questions and allowing them to draw us near to God, rather than allowing them to drive us away from him. See, at the cross, God meets us in our suffering, and he walks with us through our suffering. And more than that, he helps us in our suffering. Why? Because actually his saving death has rescued us ultimately from the powers of sin and death. Yes, we still struggle. Yes, we still suffer here. 
but our future is secure because Jesus took the punishment we deserve, so we never have to. So there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want us to say today, this cry of Jesus from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is good news for struggling people like us. That cry shows us that at the cross, Jesus was taking the full punishment we deserve for our sin on himself so that we can be forgiven, so that we will never face that punishment from God. But that cry also tells us that on the cross, Jesus stands with us in our suffering. He is with us in our pain and our questions. He is not distant. He is draws near to us. He's not unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. He knows exactly how we feel. And he chooses to give us grace and mercy to help us. Whenever we stand at the cross, whatever time of year it is, we are standing at the very limits of our understanding of the living God. There is so much mystery here between the relationship of the Father and the Son how can the Father turn his back on the Son? There is mystery here. But I think one of the best descriptions of the sufferings of Jesus and the difference they make to us in our sufferings comes from a poem written at the end of World War I by a man called Edward Shillito. The poem is called Jesus of the Scars. I'm just going to read the last verse for us. I've slightly modernised the language. The other gods were strong, but you were weak. They rode, but you did stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but you alone. God's wounds on the cross speak to our wounds. God is not distant. We are not alone when we suffer and we struggle. In Jesus, he has come near to us. So let's draw near to him and cry out to him to help us in our time of need. Let me pray for us. Father God, we confess the cross is a mystery to us. And Lord, this cry of your sons, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It, it makes us uncomfortable, it challenges us. But Lord, amazingly, it's a cry you invite us to be able to make ourselves when we are suffering and struggling. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much. You gave your only son, whom you loved, to be that sin offering for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you, the son of God, loved us so much, you willingly went to the cross, you volunteered for it. And you went through that suffering, that pain, that isolation, that we could be set free from sin and death. Lord God, you are worthy of our worship. Because not only have you dealt with the problem of sin and suffering ultimately, that when Jesus returns, that will be at an end. But also as we sin and suffer now, you promise to be with us. You promise to draw near to us. You promise that you understand and you will help us 
keep trusting in you and keep going in this world. Lord, would you keep that promise for each one of us listening to this today? And we ask it in the name of Jesus.